the intuitive part of things can help us connect with clients in a different way and also make hiring decisions differently. I think trusting that inner knowing is such a powerful tool in our business. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Now, here is Kathleen. Welcome to the Unleash Your True Value podcast series. I am your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. In this series, we will be discussing how to identify and communicate your value as a female financial advisor. Why? Because it's important for you to stand in your true value, charge what you're worth, and feel really great about it. Now, women advisors are in demand, but progress in achieving equality in the field certainly has been slow. If you're a female advisor, chances are you've encountered challenges working in a predominantly male industry. In this series, I will break money silence and talk about the gender disparities in the field, from the lack of advancement for women into leadership roles to the persistent gender wage gap. The goal of this series is to move the conversation forward, to offer solutions so that together we can change the face of wealth management. Does that sound good? If so, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app and that you share each and every episode of the Unleash Your True Value podcast series with your network and your community. So let's get this conversation started. Here is this week's guest. Today, I am very excited because I am joined by Ellen Rogan. Uh, she is a colleague and a friend, and many of you know her uh, from the financial services industry. Uh, Ellen is a money expert, financial intuitive, which makes me curious, New York Times bestselling author of Picture Your Prosperity, and author of the relatively new book, Messages for Money, How to Stress Less, Prosper More, and Reshape Your Relationship with Money. Through her Messages for Money consultations, Ellen connects with the energy of money and delivers messages that help her clients achieve happier, more abundant lives. Ellen is also a sought-after speaker on the art of prosperity, and her work has been featured on CNBC, ABC, NPR, Time, and, little jealous here, Oprah Magazine. <laughs> as a CPA and a CFA, Ellen worked as a traditional financial advisor for over 25 years, before selling her successful wealth management firm. Ellen today is joining us to talk about using your intuition to communicate your value as a female advisor and to offer us tips for success. So welcome, Ellen, to the Breaking Money Silence podcast. I am so excited and honored to be here with you. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm uh, very excited to hear your perspective on unleashing your true value. But I'm curious, before we even get into the value conversation, you know, we just mentioned that you built a thriving wealth management firm, you sold it, uh, and it was very successful. And then you became a successful author, speaker, and coach. So you certainly have had your share of success in a very male dominated industry 
dare I say, prior to it being fashionable to be a woman in the industry. So I'm wondering what allowed you to be so successful so early on? Well, I just want to make one distinction, Kathleen, and this came from a colleague, a financial advisor friend years ago, who said, we don't, it's not a male dominated industry. It's a predominantly male industry, right? Because we are not, our women advisors are not really dominated by the men. There's just a lot more of them. And I think that part of what made me successful in that is that I always saw, well, that was unique, right? There was, if people were um, competing for clients, which I never really saw it that way, because I think there's plenty of business for everyone. And I wasn't the advisor for everyone and everyone wasn't the client for me, but I was probably one of the few women that they were talking to or that the COIs, the centers of influence were referring people to. So I always thought it was great to have something that differentiated myself that way. And back when I started, which was quite a long time ago, it really was unique to be a woman in the industry. So almost it was your superpower. I mean, you had other superpowers. Well, it, it was, was a good differentiator. And it wasn't just that I was a woman. I think that women have a unique, I'm, I'm generalizing here, right? So not all women and not all men. But um, I think even from the beginning that women had a different approach that maybe was looking at things more holistically. You know, many of the women advisors I know have done financial planning for years and now more and more people are doing it, but whether they charged for it or did formal plans, there was always a more holistic look at how they talk to their clients about money. And I think that that is, um, was helpful for me then has continued to be helpful for advisors. I just see that uh, okay, so here's my sexist comment for the day. Men, okay. there's plenty of men that are great at this. I think women in general's ability to listen differently and look at things more holistically for their clients is a really, really helpful tool. And one one last thing on this is that I think some of my male clients just also felt more comfortable fessing up to things they didn't feel good about in their finances with a woman that they maybe would have been embarrassed to do that with a, a male financial advisor. Those are all, all great points. To get back to, quote unquote, your sexist comment, there's actually research that supports that women do tend to test a little higher on emotional intelligence. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why. And again, I agree with you. We don't want to overgeneralize. But that is something that they definitely... Uh, bring to the mix. I think the other thing that's interesting, and I see this in the work that I do, is that you're right. Sometimes male clients prefer to share information with a female advisor who maybe, you know, on some level he feels less competitive with or more comfortable with or whatever. And that can be a true value as well. Just like I know some women, you know, we often say women clients want women advisors. Not always true. Some women really want to work with men because of the same thing. There's a different dynamic. So there, there sounds like there's a lot of things that came into play that allowed you to be successful. And so one of the things that I really hope uh, our listeners can get from you in this podcast is some tips and tools about how to clearly and confidently communicate their value. Now, when you think about that, 
and again, I don't want to overgeneralize, but many women advisors that both you and I work with can struggle with how do I communicate my value? How do I think about value in a way that it's more than just money? It's more than just my technical expertise. So when you look back at your career, did you ever struggle with that part of the job? And if so, Ellen, what do you think allowed you to overcome it? And if you didn't, that's great. Why are you the exception to the rule? <laughs> yeah, no, I totally it was struggled, especially at the beginning with knowing my value because I had made up in my mind the things that a successful financial planner would have to be really good at. So it was things like being great at details, being fascinated with the intricacies of financial investments and insurance. And I am a really good macro person. I can see the whole big picture. I cannot always see the trees in the forest, but I can see the forest. (laughs) And so that was part of it. And I think as you were teeing this up, what I've seen with advisors, and I've had a little bit more experience working with women advisors, is that this idea of value shows up in their conviction as they're talking with their clients. And feeling like I had more conviction around my work came when I realized that people were not just coming to me for investment strategies in a financial plan. That was on the surface what they were coming for. But what they were really coming for was to feel better about their situation, to know they were going to be okay. And I think I was really, really good at when it was the truth. Of course, I wasn't going to just sugarcoat things, but to really help people know they were going to be okay. And one of the things, the evidences that I had that this was a successful strategy for my business came during a recession when many of the advisors, you know, I had moved to fee base, so my income dropped a lot in a short amount of time during a recession, right? Because the assets went down in value. Sure. And where many of my other advisor friends were freaking out and laying off people at their firm, my attention went to my clients are freaked out and they need me more than ever. So I moved my attention away from me, not that I wasn't paying attention to running a, you know, a business that was viable, but all, most of my energy and attention was they're freaked out. How do I make things better for them? People need me more than ever. And in um, the first recession I ever went through, market was down 17% and my business grew 39%. There. Wow. Yeah. And I attribute most all of that to me putting my attention out. How can I be of service? What do people need from me now? And not on freaking out about what was happening in my business. And I think that that people get that. They get that energetic shift. You also talked about something that I want to highlight for people who are listening in. And it's that mistake that you know, whether you're a female advisor, whether you're somebody in a different field, a lot of us make in the beginning, which is we think we should be certain things. Mm -hmm. And what we discover over time, if we stay in that profession, and certainly for you, is that it was okay to be macro, that certainly your client-centric approach really worked, and that your unique value was not necessarily um, the nuts and bolts of a financial 
plan, although you're competent in that area, you could hire someone else to do that. But really those conversations you were having with client and that being in service of your client was your true value. And I think that's such an important lesson for people to learn that our, our value is really something about who we are and how we show up versus just a list of benefits that any financial advisor can offer. Yeah, I uh, I 100% agree with that. And I also think something that helped me early on was once I got comfortable with what I was really good at, being comfortable hiring people at a very early start of my business and paying them. Sometimes I'll see advisors like struggling to hire their first assistant or hiring a paraplanner. And, you know, I they started out part-time to begin with, but I didn't spend a lot of time doing things that I hated and that I really wasn't good at. <laughs> well, and I'm laughing because a, a lot of us do that. And it is a tendency of some women, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm sure some men struggle with it too, but that delegating. And so I see that in some of the women in my coaching group, the resistance to delegating. But I think that is another um, really important thing to be thinking about is to stay in your strength area. And you don't have to become good at things that you don't like. Yeah. And, and yeah, so I love that you know, in your coaching, you're supporting your clients to move through that and knowing that to do their best work, it's really about doing their best work and letting other people do the rest. Now, in addition to kind of figuring out our value, communicating our value, it's also important to be in a certain mindset to have success in this business. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the work you've done around prosperity mindset. Mm. You know, there's your current book, which we'll talk about in a minute, Messages for Money. Um, but you also co-wrote, I think it was in 2015, a New York, best, uh, New York Times bestseller uh, called Your Prosperity Picture. And you do a lot of work, I think, still around the prosperity mindset. So tell us a little bit about what a prosperity mindset is and how do you think it impacts someone's ability to be successful in this field and really stand in your value? Our mindset feels like the roots of a tree, that if you don't have healthy roots, it's really hard to grow a healthy tree and the fruit, whatever kind of fruit you want to grow from your business and um, it might be helpful, like a prosperity versus scarcity mindset. Like, what does that mean? I think probably everyone listening has heard that, but I'll share my definitions. So scarcity mindset tends to be fear-based. These are the people that during a recession were freaking out and just uh, letting go of staff and doing things that were fear-based decisions versus smart business decisions. It could be more so worrying about like, oh my God, what if it is another 2008 and building up stories about what could happen. Aggressive competition, for me to win, you have to lose. There's only so much business to go around. It can also show up in jealousy or envy. My One of the weird things about the financial services profession is often it's pretty easy to know how much money someone else is making because they'll talk about their AUM or they'll be, if you're with the same firm, there'll be these like leaderboard rankings. And I know for me that until I got to be on, you know, near the top at my firm, I was always comparing myself to other people and then feeling like, oh, I should be doing better. 
So if I'd see a friend, scarcity thinking can show up, like something good happens to a friend of yours, they get to the next level. And instead of being excited for them, you're either beating yourself up or there's judgment. Well, they did that because they're selling these high commission products or right. something you're judging. Yep. Um, and that's all in the scarcity world. Abundance thinking or prosperity thinking is more optimistic. It's expansive. It's collaborative. There's more than enough to go around. And you can do really well financially in financial services and be a scarcity thinker. It just sucks. Like, why would you want it? <laughs> you're not that? as happy, right? You're not as happy. And maybe your life isn't as balanced. And maybe, you know, these might be people that can't keep team. Like, I didn't realize till I left my business, Kathleen, that it was unusual that I never had anybody quit. I fired a couple of people. Um, I had a couple of people retire. But no, my, when I left my practice, two of the people that worked for me had been there 20, I don't know, 22 and 25 years. And the new girl was there 14 years. Wow. And I think that scarce, you know, if it's a crappy place to work, now granted, sometimes people leave for other reasons, but scarcity thinking also creates an environment for your team that is stressful for other people. Yes. And, and one of the things that I'm thinking about, and maybe this isn't fair, maybe this is more of a traditional uh, advisor model, not necessarily a male or female model. But when you think about the traditional, you know, product transactional oriented nature of the business, it was winners and losers. And one of the things that I think a lot of us can bring to the table now um, and I see something shifting in the industry, not across the board, but in some pockets of the industry, where being more collaborative, being more expansive, being there for your clients and that everybody can win, uh, almost a team approach, which is what I grew up on when I worked in um, health services was, you know, everybody had some value and you were a member of a team and you brought that value to the end client. Um, and it sounds like with the prosperity mindset, it, it's similar of really looking at and reinforcing that you have a unique value and that you don't necessarily need to compete with the person next to you in that same kind of scarcity way. Do, do I have that right, Ellen? Yeah, I think, well, you have such good perspective having worked in, with a lot of different types of financial services companies and spoken at a lot of different meetings um, and seeing how more and more, even the more traditional financial services firms are looking at teaming in a way that maybe they hadn't before. I also think it's an approach because people can still be on a team and not have that viewpoint. True. Um, yep. And if we're generalizing, it might be more of a feminine energy approach than a masculine energy approach. And it doesn't mean it's, it's male or female. There's plenty of women that are super competitive or scarcity focused and, and I've been at those men. meetings, Ellen. I know they do exist. <laughs> Yeah. Or they feel like, oh, there's only room for one woman right. at the top. And yeah. there's still that feeling. But it also it seems like firms that are going to excel in the future do have that viewpoint. And clients would like to know there's more than that. There's plenty of resources there for them as well. So I think it's a um, besides, I believe it's a way to grow your business with more ease by having a prosperity mindset. I think it's a way to grow a business that has more sustainability and resilience. Hmm. So, so the other thing that you talk a lot about 
in addition to prosperity mindset is you talk about business intuition. And I know in the past on the Breaking Money Silence podcast, I've had you in to talk a little bit about that. But I really want to talk to you about it today in terms of how boosting somebody's business intuition can really help them be a better advisor. It's almost like it strikes me as another kind of feminine concept, not women versus men, but a feminine concept. But that could be my own bias. Tell us a little bit about how you work with advisors to boost their business intuition and how that can be helpful in unleashing their true value. It might be helpful to talk about what intuition means. Sure. And, and, and I think an easy definition is just knowing something without knowing how you know it. I think there's this thought of it can be so mystical and magical, like I'm able to read people's minds. And, and yes, yeah, some people have enhanced and trusted this intuition more than others. And I think maybe part of the reason we tend to think of it as more of a female trait or a feminine trait is because we talk about feminine intuition. But men talk about it as well, like this gut feeling and trusting that. And I think everyone listening can think of a time where they've just had a feeling something feels right, they don't know why, or wrong, and either they followed it or didn't follow that intuition. I know for me, the most difficult times in my business were ones where I didn't follow that intuition. I had a bad feeling about something and I just kind of talked myself out of it and I should not have done that. But the intuitive part of things can help us connect with clients in a different way and also make hiring decisions differently. I think trusting that inner knowing is such a powerful tool in our business. I feel as if for myself, I get better at that the longer I've been in business. Because I think back to two situations are popping in my head right now. One was a speaking engagement. One was a longer term consulting project. And both of them were not my favorite experiences. And both of them, I had that gut feeling of like, you shouldn't do this. Mm -hmm. But intellectually, I convinced myself, whether it was the money whether it was, you know, this is the next right step that led me to take on these opportunities. But when I listen to that intuition, and sometimes it's not so easy because sometimes that means saying no or passing something up or saying I'm going to hold out until something's better. I do find that over time, uh, I tend to be an intuitive person, but over time that really leads me the right direction. I mean, I feel like that's been, you know, 20 plus years in the industry figuring that out. But if you're listening in today, how do you start tapping into that and using that in your business? A couple of things I found have been helpful for people. One is being quiet enough to hear your own good intentions. You know, we're so busy. There's so much coming at us technically, things we need to learn, clients, team. Uh, our, our minds are so full all the time. And it's hard to tap into that if there's so much chatter. I think about this. Um, when I went to business school for, at the beginning of the program, I was in a dorm and I had this roommate that never shut up and she <laughs> drove me up the wall. And I think we have this inner roommate that can be just so annoying that's chatting at us all the time that we can't hear our own good intentions. And so one of the things that I think is helpful is having some type of contemplative practice. 
I've been a meditator for many years. When I teach trainings for people, we talk about creating this moment to arrive, and it can just be a few intentional breaths. I think of having a meditation practice, whether it's walking meditation or running or sitting, watching your breath or listening to a guided meditation is super helpful. And it can be just three intentional breaths. But the first part of it is turning down that voice that's always chatting in your mind so you can hear quiet and then get these ideas that come up intuitively or be able to really sense into, as you said, something that feels good or not. And then it's it's really trusting it. Because I hear a lot from people that I work with like, oh, I know I have intuition, but I just don't trust it. And some of that's just practice. Like um, one of the things that I started doing and I continue to do is driving home from my office. I could go, it's not very far, but there's probably three or four different ways I can go. And I'll play with which way should I turn? Should I turn here? Should I turn there? And I just go with it. Now, do I know I would have missed something or it took longer, shorter? Not usually, but I'm so in the practice of doing it that I... I actually did it this morning, like think, okay, I should drive this way instead of the other way to the office after taking my dog to the dog park. And one time I did this, I was going to an appointment and I was like, no, I think I'm going to take this longer route. And it turned out I missed um, a freight train being where I would have been stalled for a really oh long goodness. period of time if yep. I had gone the way. And I was like, oh, it was like very affirming for me that that's helpful. So practice and trust, I think, is a really great way for us all to get more in, used to using that intuitive muscle. Well, and I challenge anybody who's currently listening to this podcast to think about, could they do the three breaths? Or I know for me, it's going into nature, whether it's a 10-minute mm -hmm. walk or 30, you know, whatever time I have in the morning to kind of get grounded. Um, those are great ideas. And the more, you know, the trusting it, I think, comes with time and, and certainly working maybe with a coach like you to kind of reinforce that. So I want to make sure we spend a little bit of time talking about your new book. It is called Messages for Money. And so that in itself is intriguing to me. But tell me a little bit about the title and how you are working um, with women advisors to help them understand the messages for money, or if maybe this is an offering that's that's not for advisors. Can you just fill us in yeah. a little bit, Ellen? Yeah. So I realized probably right before I sold my practice that I am actually very intuitive with people's, with what's up for them with money. And I, one of the ways that I flex my intuitive muscles is I actually tap into messages from money for people. Like what, if money could talk, what would it say? And I love the, met, whether it's metaphoric or you, this is part of your belief system, but that we all have a relationship with money. We all do. You're a financial advisor. You maybe like have a great financial situation yourself. Maybe it's one you're working on, or certainly with our clients, we have a relationship with money. And if we think of it almost like a personal relationship, I'd love to have people think about like, what, what kind of partner are they with money? Like, are you a jealous partner? Are you someone that's very controlling? Do you know money has your back? And I think people sometimes think like, oh, they think about what money does for them, but they don't think about how it reflects how they are with money. 
So um, in the book, I created a framework, which is really being aware. So aware of your thoughts, what you say about money. Um, and this goes into what we talked about with your prosperity mindset. So being aware, being clear, like, where is it you want to go for an advisor? Like, where do you want to go in your practice? What is it that you most want? Being clear in your vision, using visioning, um, the power of visualization of mental rehearsal to grow your practice and grow your relationship with clients. So being aware, clear, care. And this is super important um, because we live in a material world and we can't just imagine our prosperity and sit on our meditation pillow, chanting OM, expecting things <laughs> to show up. And so like, what are, what kind of action are you taking in the real world? You know, are you just waiting for clients to show up? Or are you taking some conscious actions? And for your clients, we know there are certain actions we have to take to be responsible. And hopefully you're doing that with your clients, but you want them to take those actions as well. So aware, clear, care, and the last part is share. And this is about generosity. So financial generosity, um, I'm a big believer in that uh, prosperity, that generosity precedes prosperity, that when we loosen our grip and are more generous with our money, things flow back. But it's also an energetic thing. You know, I love telling advisors, if you want more referrals, give more referrals. Like, how are you out there giving what you want to get back? And not with an old, like old school give to get. Like, yes, okay, yep. Kathleen, I'll refer to you. But if you don't refer back to me, we're done. Now, if you're a taker and all you do is ask me for business and never with no intention of how you can help me back, you know, maybe you're not the person I want to do business with. But if I refer a client for your group coaching or one-on-one -on -one coaching or a speaking engagement to you, because I know you'll do a great job for those people, I'm not expecting anything in return. And I may end up getting a speaking engagement or a new client from someone I haven't talked to in years. It just is what goes around, comes around. So I think that those, whether it's with your personal finances or your business finances, what I intended to do with the book was set some groundwork and then really provide people with actionable tools they can use to grow all these different areas in their lives. It sounds great. And I completely agree with you that if you are in a space of being generous and caring about your centers of influence as well as your clients in a way that's, you know, pure and you just want to help people out, that that ultimately not only makes you feel good, I think it does create a different energy level. So as usual, Ellen, love what you're up to. Uh, I encourage people to check out the new book. It's certainly something I'm going to do as well. But tell everybody who is listening in where they can find out more about your work, specifically how to hire you uh, as a speaker, how to buy a book, how to work with you as a coach. Because I know there is a lot of value you still have to, to provide, and you've certainly done a wonderful job role modeling that today. That's sweet of you. Thank you. Well, books are on Amazon, Messages from Money and Picture Your Prosperity. You can learn more about me and my work at ellenrogan.com. That's E-L-L-E-N-R-O-G-I-N.com. Great. Great. Well, I am so glad that many years ago we met at a conference and we've continued our relationship supporting each other. Uh, and I'm so honored that you would come on the Unleash Your True Value series to share your wisdom of being in this field for many years and helping many people uh, succeed. So thank you so much, Ellen, for your time and your expertise today. 
Oh, thank you. And thank you for all you do for the industry. And I know you're doing great work with industry people and the advisors that you're working with to help them grow and unleash their value. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.